we're on a bit of a journey at the moment where we're talking about how can we make an impact in our society as it is. So we looked, started by looking at how society is, it's not just as straightforward as we have the good news, so we have this message that will change everyone's lives. It's not just as simple as we throw this good news message out and then people accept it and then everyone's lives are changed. Our society now is quite complicated in the fact that some people have heard the good news and chosen to reject it. Um, some people um, are so far away from being able to shift and change their lives that they can incorporate um, God into it. There's all sorts of challenges that come um, for all of us whenever we're going to decide to do this thing where we make an impact on the lives of other people. So we've been trying to look at some different things that are important for us to consider about how we conduct ourselves in this current... Uh, we, we described it in the first week as a post-Christian world. How do we exist and thrive in a post-Christian world? And how do we begin to make an impact to people in that? Because it is different from us going to somewhere, uh, a country where they've never, ever heard of the concept of God or Jesus. We live in a different society to that, and it's got to change the way we operate and the way we work. So we've been through a series of, I think we're on to week five now, where I've been looking at the, um, the book of Daniel and trying to pull out different things from that story uh, that we can really learn from. Um, a couple of weeks, so last week we looked at uh, facing fear. So we looked at how often when we want to make an impact, it's often the fear of uh, being overwhelmed by fear of what will happen to me if I stand up for what I believe, if I, if I um, have the courage to speak out in certain situations. It's often the fear that overwhelms us, that stops us from, from having the courage to do that. Uh, but also understanding that fear is sometimes an important thing um, because it's the thing that keeps us safe. So we know that when a lorry is driving too fast down the road, it's worth taking a few steps away from the edge of the pavement. Because fear has taught us that, that we manage risk and we manage um, danger in those different kind of ways. Bad experiences teach us things. The fear of what's gone on changes our perspective and, and the way we're going um, to operate and understand and navigate situations in the future. So it's not throwing fear out and saying we need to be entirely fearless. Because actually healthy fear has a role to play. It educates us. But actually, how can we be people who aren't overwhelmed by fear um, so that it completely hinders us being able to move forward uh, and make an impact? Um, but two weeks ago, we looked at something called the challenge. Of, the, the, get my words out. We looked at something called the challenge of success. How in the book of Daniel, what you see is this continuing kind of pattern of Daniel being um, compromised and challenged, having courage um, to be able to stand for what he thought was right. Um, but at the same time, um, he, he would then go to, through this period of doing that, uh, often end up being in the face of adversity, but ultimately would succeed each time. Um, but the challenge of success is that when you succeed, often we end up hitting um, this wall of, um, people want to knock you down when you succeed. So there's this, temp this temptation. If, if we don't succeed well, if we don't do it with grace and humility and respect, then the, the number of people who want to see you um, fail increases if we have an arrogant or boastful attitude. So it was understanding how can we be people who succeed well uh, with grace and humility and all those kind of things, but also be people who don't become 
uh, the ones wanting other people to fail. That when we see people being boastful or arrogant or crowing about their achievements, um, and, and we talked about our social media gives us this world now where we can't help but but be faced sometimes with with those kind of scenarios. And the challenge then hits us, not just of how are we going to succeed well, but how are we going to respond effectively um, and with love to people and not not kind of get irritated or wound up when, when people are boasting, <laughs> in essence. Um, but interestingly, off the back of that, we kind of find ourselves where we are today. So with success... Um, what we expect when we succeed in life, when, we, when things go well, we expect a certain level of progression to take place. So what we want to look at today is this whole concept of making progress and our perception of change. And I suppose what I'm thinking is when we succeed, especially when you're thinking about making an impact, when we succeed in a situation where we begin to feel like we're investing time and energy into a relationship, um, then what we what we begin to see is is an opportunity for for God to begin to make a difference. So we begin to see that progress um, starts to happen. I suppose the question is, what is our expectation when we succeed and when we invest in a relationship? What is our expectation of progress? So the general pattern would be something like we invest um, time and energy into a person or a relationship or a situation. We have courage maybe to step out and speak. Uh, what we think God might be saying to someone, uh, we represent God in the way that we um, the way that we are in that moment, um, and the hope is that people are inspired, um, that people are now more interested and connected to God than they were before, um, that God ultimately is promoted and He's glorified. That would be the the perfect pattern, wouldn't it? Um, and if that could be the case, if that was our expectation that, that when we when we invest time and energy into someone and we're truly loving to them, that we expect some form of progress, that would be the dream. And I suppose that would equal job done. That that's what we're here to do. We're here to make an impact. We're here to make a difference. And we're here to glorify God and promote him and bring people closer to him. And when you look at the book of Daniel, you see loads of times where this is actually the case. Um, so I'm going to read you a couple of little snippets um, of the first three chapters. And we've, we've, not, we've not kind of, as we've gone through Daniel, we've not gone through it chapter by chapter. We've gone back into stories quite a lot. But I think that's quite helpful to pull out different things uh, that go on. So if we look at the story of Daniel, in chapter one, um, it starts with, with uh, introducing Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and they're um, basically taken hostage into Babylon. And the, in- the initial scenario is they are told to study the Babylonian ways, uh, which are completely alien to people who serve God because they're serving a pagan culture. Uh, but they serve it and they study it and they study it so well that they become top of the class. So they've, they've succeeded in chapter one. They've already succeeded. They've risen to the top. They've kept serving God but they've honoured and served and infiltrated the society that they're a part of. And this is what happens, uh, having excelled in their studies of the Babylonian way. In Daniel 1, 19, um, it says this, The king talked with them, so it's King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, so it's Daniel and his friends, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, which were their names before they got changed to pagan names. 
Um, so they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. OK, so what you see is there is um, there is this progress that is made. They've made the effort and had courage to to just dedicate their time and energy to studying diligently an alien culture. But they've succeeded and they've made progress. So they've risen to the top and it's been recognised by the king. So it was worth it. They spent three years studying. The king's acknowledged it. He said um, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole of the kingdom. So it's paid off. Their investment and their their kind of um, their energy has paid off. In chapter two, um, at the end of that, Daniel, the story in chapter two is Daniel um, has been given the opportunity to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Very tricky interpretation because he won't even tell anyone what the dream is, which is the most cruel way <laughs> of saying, I've had a dream. Could you please tell me what the dream was and then tell me what it means? Um, but Daniel gets the opportunity to um, to interpret that dream. Um, and then if we jump to the end of that chapter, this is the king's response after Daniel has been courageous and invested time and energy and, and basically put his neck on the line. And interpreted quite a, a difficult um, thing to say to a ruler of power. And this is where it says Daniel 2 uh, verses 46 to 47. Um, it says this. Um, the king, uh, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell after Daniel's just interpreted it. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. So we see once again, he's, he stepped out in faith, done something, made an effort, spent time and energy um, doing this stuff, had courage. And what we see is progress and we see success um, from, from Daniel in this situation. Chapter three, then, um, after Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego emerge from the furnace. Um, we'll, we'll talk about how they've got there in a moment. Remind you of how they got there in a minute. But they are thrown into this furnace as a punishment for not bowing to King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, the thrones the first as they emerge from the furnace this is what king nebuchadnezzar says to them it's a tricky tricky name to say thank you lord for putting that one in the bible and daniel three twenty eight um says this then nebuchadnezzar says praise be to the god of shadrach meshach and abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants <coughs> they trusted in him and def uh, and um and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. You, you see this story, they're thrown into this furnace because they won't bow to King Nebuchadnezzar. But because um, their god saves them from certain death, the guys who threw them into the furnace died because it was so hot. But they survived. <coughs> Um, so they, the, the guys who threw, threw them in didn't even go in the furnace, but it was too hot and they died. 
so so that it's a clear miracle where something's happened which has completely changed the scenario. But once again, what we see is a stand and some courage uh, and and a, a, this bravery of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, being the core thing in this story. And the end result is that their God is praised uh, and and I suppose set above all other gods because of what he's able to do. And the king who threw them in there in the first place is the one who's saying this stuff. So what we see is is this sense of progress again, that it's worth that when we make take the time and we, we um, use, use our energy to do that stuff, we have courage and we have faith to step forward and do these things, we can make process, that we can make progress. But I suppose the question is, when we attempt to make an impact, what do we imagine progress will actually look like? Because when we look at those stories in that way, it seems really simple. That there's a challenge, and they make a stand, and they make progress. That's what it feels like when we look in hindsight at stories. But actually, when you really look at the story of Daniel, this is the reality of what goes on. After chapter 1, we see the story that we've just talked about. Daniel and his friends commended by the king because they've studied so diligently. But what then happens is straight after it, the next year, so the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, what you suddenly realise is right at the start of that, um, you realise that everything that's just been said by the king, that these guys stand above everyone else, they're ten times better, they're more wise, they're the people that you should go to because look how great they are at studying things and look how much they've, they've um, been able to impact people. What you see in the next chapter, start of chapter two, the next year, is that they are completely forgotten. Instantly, they're forgotten by, by the king that's just told, uh, told everyone how amazing they are. And, and what you find then is you, you reach this situation where Nebuchadnezzar needs this dream interpreting. And he goes to all of the magicians and the enchanters <coughs> in the kingdom and says, who can interpret this dream? No one can. Because no one knows what the dream is. So as he's saying to them, what is, uh, so they're kind of tentatively going to him. Every time he says, who can interpret it for me? They're continually going back saying, if you could just give us a tiny bit of detail about what the dream's about, then maybe, um, maybe King will be able to do what you're asking. But please just give us a little sense of what the dream was about, even just the scenario. Um, they're just trying to get some form of information out of him. But, but no one can do it because he won't give them the information. And the king's angry. So what the king actually does um, is he, sentence, he sentences all the magicians and the enchanters in the entire kingdom to death, including Daniel and his three friends. Because even though we don't look at them as magicians and enchanters, in that pagan society, that was the bracket that they fitted into. So they're all um, <coughs> sentenced to death. So you look back and go, wait, wait a minute. I thought that you thought Daniel and his three friends were ten times better than anyone else. That they, that on any matter, that's what it says. Any matter, they were so wise in matters of the kingdom, and they were so they were so far ahead of anyone else. They were really the the first port of call. All the people you go to. So what you see is we perceive that that progress. Is, has been made that they are held aloft of these amazing people but but then what we see the reality of the situation is straight away they're forgotten and what we thought was progress that now they've reached this standard 
that actually maybe the progress that we thought was there hasn't actually been made because the king has forgotten about them and he's even sentenced them to death. Now, the story changes because Daniel manages to convince the king to allow him to interpret the dream and there's all sorts of patterns of events that that lead to Daniel then being given a chance to do it uh, and then not being sentenced to death. But, but what we see is that progress doesn't necessarily look how we thought it did. It isn't just this upward trajectory of, I make a stand, I do something positive and then... Everything just keeps getting better. So that's chapter one. What we find after the end of that is that progress was limited from what we originally thought it was. After chapter two, so post-interpretation, Daniel has um, stood up and delivered this this tricky interpretation to King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, He falls on his knees honours Daniel and then he doesn't just honour Daniel he honours the God of Daniel he begins to realise that it's Daniel's faith and Daniel's belief in God that's making a difference he doesn't directly um, just give praise to God but he talks about the God of Daniel and what you see um, what we perceive to be this moment of success is that that Daniel's God is honoured now King Nebuchadnezzar is functioning in a way where he will always honour Daniel's God that's where we think they've hit this point that's the new level, that's the new standard that we've hit. But what happens after chapter 2 is in the next chapter, it begins with Nebuchadnezzar building a humongous statue of himself. It's 90 feet tall uh, and 9 feet wide. And, and the reason he's built the statue is because he wants everyone to be able to bow down and worship him. So it's, it's another confusing point. Think, okay, so we've, we've made this progress where you've just said um, that, that everyone needs to stop and listen to the fact that Daniel's God has enabled him to interpret these mysteries. And if Daniel's God is able to interpret these mysteries, then surely he's a God above, above all the other gods. That's what he's saying. So, so Daniel's God's better than everyone else's. But now uh, I want you to not worship Daniel's God. I want you to worship a 90-foot statue of myself. So what we thought was progress, that, that Nebuchadnezzar is beginning to get this sense of um, that, that God, this God that Daniel serves is better than all the others. Maybe we all need to worship him. We're beginning to realise that Nebuchadnezzar is slipping back again, that he suddenly got filled with the level of his own self-importance that actually he now wants everyone to not worship Daniel's God. He wants them to worship him instead. So once again, progress is stunted um, from what we imagined it would be and then after chapter three we've just had this moment where the furnace has been um has been stoked to seven times hotter than than ever uh, than normal so that these people who won't bow down to nebuchadnezzar in this statue will suffer greatly for their disobedience nebuchadnezzar then sees this all of this stuff happening where these guys survive this furnace and he does the most elaborate honour and praise directly to to their God because he realises that these are that that there's something dramatically different about how this God functions to everyone else and what you see off the back of that is is that's what's just happened but then we we go into this subtle story of the of King Nebuchadnezzar then having this dream Okay, so we think we've made this progress where Nebuchadnezzar's perspective of God has entirely changed because he's seen these three guys and this angel in a furnace and they've survived. Um, and we, this is unbelievable progress. He is now honouring um, 
honouring the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego above anything else and saying this is this is an absolute game changer. That's the message we get at the end of chapter um, of chapter three. But as we begin to look at what this dream is all about for Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four, the essence of the dream is Daniel's got to interpret it again. But the essence of the dream is this. God's saying to Nebuchadnezzar that he needs to recognise that he, that God, is the God over all the earth. And once again, you sit there and go, haven't you just realised that through the, fur- through the guys in the furnace? I thought you'd just realised that. But, but this, final, this final intervention into the life of Nebuchadnezzar happens after this episode. Well, you think that, that God has just been, the progress has been made. But then what you realise is that there's this dream that has to be interpreted to remind Nebuchadnezzar of what we've just found out. So it's this strange, what we begin to realise is the reality in Daniel actually is a different pattern. It's not that they have courage to stand up, make a, make a, uh, a brave decision and see um, uh, and kind of represent God in a scenario and then the end result is always progress what we see is that progress happens it's real but then actually what happens is these people who progress slip back slip back into old habits into old ways of thinking into old ways of behaving um, and you think that that surely that the, that scenario and this is one king we're talking about in these three examples it's one king surely each time it's enough to convince him that really this God is worth serving and following and, and adoring and honouring. But actually you continually see after every, um, like every kind of quite significant step forward, the progress always slips back to being, oh, I'm not 100% convinced on this stuff. And I suppose there's a real challenge for us when we begin to look at it. That progress happens, but it's constantly hindered in each of these situations. So when we think about how can we make an impact, when we look at the story of Daniel, what can we learn from the reality of these situations? If the reality is that progress happens, but it then gets limited and hindered, what does that look like in our situations? How are we going to respond when we're stepping forward, trying to make a difference to people? Are we expecting progress to be just this constant upward trajectory or actually, do we need to be, do we need to challenge our perception of what change and progression actually looks like? And I suppose what we learn is we need to be prepared to be fluid in our expectation of progress and our perception of what change looks like. So some simple questions. Is God working in these situations? Absolutely. In, that, in those stories, we can see God working in our lives as we step forward and try and make an impact in the lives of other people. Is God working? Absolutely he is. But does it always go according to our plan of what we, ex- we expect progress to look like? Or, or the end result for that individual to look like? Sometimes it, it does progress the way we want it to. But other times it might feel like we are continually slipping back in our investment and in our impact that we're trying to have on other people. Is it all completed in one single moment? Possibly, but probably not. So usually our progress when we're trying to make a difference to the lives of other people is not necessarily this one hit wonder where someone gets it in a moment and everything shifts and changes. 
But I think sometimes we fall into the trap when we stand at the start of a relationship or an opportunity or a situation. It's really easy for us to sit there and and almost imagine what the end result will look like. That I will invite (coughs) someone onto an alpha course and then they'll get saved. And then they'll start coming to church and they'll just be part of the family. Do you know what I mean that? Yeah, that would be amazing. And do you know what? Sometimes that happens. But are we building in um, capacity for someone to turn around and go, actually, um, this bit's a real hurdle for me. This bit's a real barrier to stop me actually being able to wholeheartedly accept what you're talking about. And, and when we talk about being truly loving to people, it's got a challenge the way we the way we imagine progress will actually look like. And it's got a challenge our our dedication to people because sometimes what we think where we think they should be at the end of a certain level of investment might not be anywhere where we thought it would be. But is God working in that situation? Absolutely. And are we gonna to have to be fluid in what we what we expect? I think so. Because that's probably the best way of doing it. So think about our own experiences. How often has it been a single moment of dramatic life change? I hope that there are stories in all of us where we can say, yeah, I have seen it, where I've just had this amazing opportunity to talk to someone and the penny's dropped, it's clicked. But also, we've got to be real about it. How many times have we been in situations where we've consistently said the same thing, time after time after time, and you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall, the challenge for us is let's not be people who get frustrated because someone's not progressing at the rate that we think they should or why they're not getting it yet. Actually, we, are, we should be people who are dedicated into the long-term investment into this relationship. If we truly love that person, they might never fully get it. But who does God want us to be to those people? Let's just keep being the consistent voice of, of as Daniel and his friends were, wisdom um, and, and perspective that continually stands up um, for what God wants to say to that person. And I suppose what we know really when we look at the reality of situations is it's more common to see a gradual change and progress over time than an instant change in a moment. It doesn't mean that we don't believe an instant change can happen. Of course it can. But actually, let's be real about it And so sometimes these are just gradual progression over time. And and I've got to be honest with you, when we look at stories throughout the Bible, the pattern that we actually see emerging is this. The world of the Bible is the world is not. Sorry, the world of the Bible is not the world of the microwave is the world of the gardener. And the world of the gardener is is a process that is often long. Um, there's there's kind of tweaking changes, there's management of conditions, there's weeding, um, there's nurture, there's development, there's uh, learning different skills and tactics in, in, in order to be able to uh, allow your crop to flourish. If that's it, rather than putting it in a machine, pressing a button and 20 seconds later, bang, there's the end result. The world of the Bible and, and God's world is constantly talking about these images of gardening and growth and and nurture and development. And that's what we've got to understand. When we're going to make an impact on people, that's what we've got to be dedicated to. Not a quick fix solution where we put it in and 30 seconds later, everything's done and dusted. And that's the reality. So 
we'd, we'd all love it to be the microwave because the results would be instant and rapid and fast and we could make progress so quickly. But the reality is, knowing how human beings' lives work and how our brains think, even as, as, as confident, experienced Christians, we can all get to a stage where we suddenly have a moment where we hit a hurdle that completely upskittles us and we start asking some basic questions about, well, how does this bit work then? Because I thought God would do this in this situation and he hasn't. And actually, I, I'm confused. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's playing at the minute. That is fine for us to be people um, who do that. And I'd rather nurture us, nurture a culture around us that allows people those times to question, to grapple, to struggle, to wrestle with things. Because we're going to get a much better end result. We're going to develop resilience in people if we can actually allow people to have that whole process of questioning. So when we hope to make an impact, our perception of change becomes so important. Let's not kind of be depressive about it, go, I'm going to make an investment, but I'm sure no one will particularly benefit or, or, or grow from it. No, that's not what we need to do. What we need to do is just be dedicated to loving those people and, and resilient to saying, even if they just don't get it, I'm still called to be someone who stands in the gap for these people and just consistently is an image and a picture of love to them. Because that is who God is and that is who God's calling us to be. So how do we do that stuff? We are people who uh, are prepared to be flexible. We're prepared to trust God in all situations, even if we don't think it's going in the direction we want. Just trust him. Be committed to those relationships and those peoples, those people in those situations. And ultimately be patient is what we need to do. And that's where next week we're going to finish this series uh, of looking at how to make an impact by kind of looking at this whole thing of patience. So some challenges for us today. Our perception um, of um our perception of change and our, our approach to making um, progress is something that we need to be prepared to be uh, not hold, I suppose, hold lightly, um, but but just be dedicated to and allow God to keep speaking to us and allow us to grow in all of those times as well as seeing other people progress. So let's pray. Father God, thank you that you place so many people around us where we can make an impact. And God, in some of those relationships, it will just be tiny little things where we can be a voice of hope, a voice of reason, a voice of wisdom into situations. And God, I pray as we find ourselves in those places that we wouldn't feel under pressure to push forward that it has to look like a certain way or it has to uh, be rapid development. (coughs) But God, you'd allow us to trust you that actually you are with us and you are guiding us and all of that stuff. So God, I pray that we would see opportunities before us this week um, and we would trust you and that we'd have patience and that we'd be flexible in what we see uh, change looking like and that we'd just be dedicated to see people uh, supported and loved and cared for and encouraged uh, for the long haul. So just be with us now. Amen. Amen.